0: God, we want your joy during this December. We want your peace during this December. We want your spirit during this Christmas season. So we're asking as we go through this Christmas story that you would reignite and help fan into flame that joy that should be in all of our hearts because of this miracle done in Bethlehem. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we get to Luke chapter 2, which is what we're doing this morning, I want to give you a quick recap of Luke 1 from the people at the Bible Project. So let's watch that together.
1: The Gospel of Luke. Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account.
2: And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one
1: day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In this city is the temple run by the priests. And one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old.
2: They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids.
1: Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began.
2: And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again.
1: The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John.
2: And then he says that this son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God
1: when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans.
2: Mm. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. Mm. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and
1: govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's going to change. God's on his way, but how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out,
2: Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out of the way region called Galilee. And there we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception
1: and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a
2: song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones
0: and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. And this is the beginning of a story where God is going to turn the world upside down. And I heard one Bible teacher joke one time that when God is doing something big, an old person gets pregnant. And when God's doing something really big, both an old person gets pregnant and a virgin gets pregnant. So that is the story that we have today. So turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city." Now, God's graciously given me four children, and I've watched my wife go through four different pregnancies, and I've seen how this goes from first trimester to second trimester to third trimester, and so I do just want you to imagine poor Joseph when he gets the news that there is supposed to be a census, and he has to come home and tell Mary, Mary, we have to take a long journey probably in your third trimester and a long walk to Bethlehem. I don't think she would have thought, oh, goody, Because sleep is a huge thing in the third trimester. And leaving your bed and packing up all your things and traveling the probably 90-mile journey on foot was not something Mary would have looked forward to. It would have been cold. There was no cushioned bus line. There was no Uber. uh, It was going up one hill and down the other. And there were more uphills than downhills. And that is what God does in verse 3. Let's continue on to verse 4. So Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. Once you notice just again the accuracy, you know, Luke made this effort to do a very systematic history. And so he puts all these details in there, like, you know, they went up to Bethlehem. You know, Bethlehem was uh, 650 feet higher in sea level when they were coming from. Uh, he he does a lot of different, different details for us, but I want you just to highlight for a second why Bethlehem. You know, why did Jesus in Mary's womb have to make it to Bethlehem. Well, the text says Joseph's from the house of David. And because he's talking to Gentiles, he's going to put in from the family of David because he doesn't want Gentiles to get confused on what the house means. And, and he says, you know, you need to, we need to get Jesus to there. Well, why? Well, there's a 700-year-old prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 that says this. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. See, Caesar was unknowingly in this moment being used by God to keep a 700-year-old promise told through the prophet Micah. There was nothing special about Bethlehem other than God had chosen it. God had said, this is where the Messiah will be born. I'm going to keep this promise because God always keeps his promises. Now, I do wonder just for a minute as we're walking through this story, how many times an unjust ruler or an unjust boss or an unjust parent does something. And we think in our in our own flesh, man, that has, can't be God's will. That can't be God moving or doing something in the background. And yet in this story, clearly God is using an evil Caesar Augustus to be essential part of his plan to get baby Jesus to Bethlehem. Let's continue on in verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now we have no idea how much time uh, it passed from the time that Joseph and Mary come through the Bethlehem city limits and the time that the baby is born. But we do know Luke doesn't record any kind of midnight arrival, any kind of rushing around town. Um, Probably they were there for a little bit of time before the baby came. Uh, so let's continue on and see what happens next in verse seven. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there's a ton of imagery here that pops into my brain when I see some of these words. When I see manger, when I say in, you know, one of the things that I think in, I, I stay at Holiday Inns when I go on trips, and so I immediately think, okay, we're, there's probably a place where there's reservations, and if they're out of reservations, there's a no vacancy sign. Um, I don't think that's what should pop in your mind here. I want to give some credit to Kenneth Bailey, who wrote a book, um, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and he and he said, you know, you have to realize that we have much bigger homes and bigger places than they did back then. Like I have a dining room. I have a bedroom. I have a playroom. I am blessed beyond belief with all the rooms in my home. We just do not understand how well off we Americans are with our rooms. That's not the way it was back in Jesus' day. They had much smaller dwellings, much smaller square footage, and they had uh, imagine one big living room for the family. I've got kind of just a drawing, a picture of it, what it would have looked like. And this, this drawing, imagine this family room and then connected to the family room, you would walk down these steps and you would have this little area where animals would be tied up for the night. And it was this little stable area attached to your, your family room. And then if you were had a little bigger place, because family did come and visit sometimes, you would have this extra room that sometimes called a prophet's chamber or maybe just a guest room. And this is called the katalima. And this is the word that's being used here. For there was no room in the katalima. This is used all the time in the New Testament for, for different times when Jesus comes and spends his Passover his last Passover, before he goes to the cross, he says, go look for this house where they have a katalima. This is what he's talking about here. So when Jesus and Mary come to Bethlehem, they're going to stay with a family member because they they have family in Bethlehem. That's why they're registering there. They go to their family member's house, and he says there's no room at the katalima. There's no room in the guest room because another family member beat you to it. Don't you hate when your sibling or your cousin gets there first, and you're like, I wanted that for me. Um, and it was just all full because there was so much going on in Bethlehem at that time. So what likely happened is that the host would have said, I don't, can't offer you this Katali mall, but I'll just let you stay whatever space I have, which could very likely have been his own living area. And he said, come, you're not going to be out there. Pregnant Mary's not going to be on the driveway. You know, come and be into my living area and we will house you the best that we can, the most hospitable way that we can. Now, at this point, we have the baby that has arrived. And, and this baby arrives and Mary swaddles him. And from Ezekiel 16.4, we get a picture of what a good mother would have done with a brand new baby. And one of the things that we see there is that she would have swaddled a baby. So this shows us that Mary loved this child. She deeply loved this child and cared for this child. And this child would change history. This was the most unusual birth in all of history because as we've just all been talking about, this is not just a normal human baby. This is God made flesh. This is God taking on human form, being put in Mary's womb, and he's going to born. So it, this is the most unusual moment in all of history, and so we need a birth announcement. I, I've seen some birth announcements on Facebook lately, and I thought, you know, there's some unique ones. There's some that I saw. I'm, one of my friends did like an eight-minute uh, Rube Goldberg machine that was amazing. It was the best one i would seen in a long time. And so God himself is going to do a birth announcement. And the question is, who is he going to tell? Who is he going to Facebook post his birth announcement? Well, let's see. Verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terribly frightened. And so, the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger.'" Now, if you guys have uh, the angel on the top of your tree, and it's this beautiful woman with flowing robes and all this, I just want you to know the picture we have in the Bible, whenever an angel shows up, uh, people get freaked out. So this is kind of, if, if you ever meet an angel, very likely you should think, wow, I'm in trouble, because they are always scared when an angel shows up, or at least most of the time they're scared. This angel says, fear not, because I have good news for you shepherds. Now, Now, why shepherds? Like... Shepherds weren't that special. It's not like they were at the top of the social. They weren't probably at the bottom of the social ladder, but they certainly were in the bottom half. They certainly were not the, the movers and shakers of this small backwoods Bethlehem place. So why would God pick shepherds for the biggest birth announcement in the history of the world? Well, in Jesus' day, there was a watchtower near Bethlehem, and it was called Migdal Eater. Everyone say it for me to make sure with me. To. Migdal Eder. There we go. Good job. Migdal Eater. Weird names in the Bible. This simply means the tower of the flock. And we first hear about it in Genesis thirty-five 21, You've got Jacob coming, traveling, and his wife Rachel dies. And he buries her near this place called Migdal Eder. This Tower of the Falk. And you can imagine this being a watchtower, a place that would protect all the sheep underneath it, all the pasture underneath it, watching for sheep thieves, watching for predators. It was a tower to protect them. Oftentimes in the bottom of these towers, there would be feeding areas for the sheep. And we have a lot of references to this Migdal Eater pasture. Second century Mishnah tells us that this particular group of shepherds had a particular job. You see, in the temple, every day, they would sacrifice sheep. And the sheep had to be of a sufficient quality. They had to be no blemishes and no broken bones. And so they always needed a supply of perfect sheep for the temple. And according to the Mishnah, these shepherds outside Bethlehem were the ones tasked with the job to to produce perfect sheep for use in sacrifice at the temple. And when they sacrificed these sheep, it would be for the forgiveness of all the sins of the people for a time. Because they had to do it again, and again, and again. And it kept going on, and that's what these shepherds did. And we have Jerome in the 4th century. He tells us that this particular pasture and tower was about a thousand steps from Bethlehem. So I, I think as I'm reading the story, I'm thinking... Man, I don't think it's a coincidence that these are the people that get the birth announcement of the coolest thing that's ever happened in history. God says, I'm going to go tell these shepherds who spend their entire lives producing perfect sheep for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to tell them that there is a baby that's born in Bethlehem, and they should go see him because he will be the Savior. He will be the one who will be the permanent forgiver of sins for all mankind. So let's see how this goes. Now, I I do think at this point, this was kind of a chill announcement. This was pretty, pretty uh, just one angel talking to them. But at this point, I do think God just can't help himself because he is really proud of what he has done. And so he is going to ramp the volume up to 11, where the silent night is going to be anything but silent. And in verse 13, we see this. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen him, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed about the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. The shepherds went and found baby Jesus in a hurry. And it's interesting because when they get there, they relate to Mary and Joseph all that the angels had told them. Can you imagine being like Mary and Joseph at this point? I mean, all Mary has is the first angel visit, and then the shepherds show up and tell. And she is trying to put all the pieces together. And I feel for this teenage girl. I'm like this teenage mother is saying, "There's a lot going on. I'm trying to process all this. I'm pondering these things in my heart. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Something special is happening." You can imagine the, the owner of the home, the, the innkeeper, as it were, the, the, the guy just saying, man, there's a lot of traffic coming through my home tonight. We got like shepherds with crazy stories. But it seems like they all believed them. It seems like when they told these stories, they, they believed them and they praised God and said, wow, this is amazing. And eventually, you look at a baby for a while. And at some point, you're like, well, I guess we've seen the baby. And I guess there's still sheep to be cared for. There's still stuff to do. So they go back. The shepherds go back. And they, they go back to their watchtower. They go back to their pastures. They, they keep raising the sheep for sacrifice in Jerusalem. But I don't think they ever forgot what had been shown to them. They didn't forget that this baby that they had seen, that they had found in a manger of Bethlehem, would grow up. And as he would grow in wisdom and stature, He would eventually die on a cross for our sins as the perfect, unblemished lamb. The sacrificial lamb of God taking away all of humanity's sin. So I want to just leave us with a few thoughts from Luke 2 that occurred to me. Because I think one of the things that Larry referenced earlier that, that really connected with me is that a lot of people aren't really joyful at Christmas. You know, a lot of us haven't got the whole joy and peace thing down. And they're like, why is all this happy music going on? There's a bunch of junk going on in the world. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, you know, God has pronounced the shepherds that he has glad tidings of great joy for all people. That's everyone. So that means God is offering joy and peace to everyone. So why is it that so many don't have it? Why is it that so many miss the joy and the peace that God is offering at Christmas. Well, I think the reason is because for us to get the joy and peace God's offering, we have to do the things the shepherds did to get the joy and peace that they got. What are the things the shepherds did? Well, number one, what they did is they believed. When they were told about who Jesus was, they believed that Jesus was their Savior. They they believed He was Christ the Lord, born in a manger. They believed this message. They, and how do we know they believed it? They, they actually moved. So they left the sheep, which was their job. They took a lunch hour or some break. I don't know what that looks like. I don't think they get PTO for that. But they left the sheep and went in a hurry to go find the baby. They believed the message. So we want to see with our eyes this baby who will be Christ the Lord. So they, with their actions, they showed they believed. With their words, they testified they believed. They spoke the story. They spoke the words that this, they told Mary and Joseph, they said, this is Christ the Lord right here in Bethlehem, in a backwater town, in a crowded place. I think one of the special things to me about Christmas and the whole story is how humble it is and how easy it is for God to say, come and believe. I mean, you just imagine God was not placed in a palace. God did not invite the mayor and the city council God invited the lower strata of society, and he said, you don't need to take a shower before you come. You don't need to get all the sheep stuff off before you come. He said, just come and see. Come right to the manger. Come right to Christ the Lord, and that's what he's inviting for us today is to believe and simply come to him, to the author of the whole universe, and call him Abba Father, and that's an amazing thing. So what's the first thing we need to do is believe. The second thing to get the joy and peace that we are offered at Christmas, is to tell others. It's to tell others the good news. We, we have to open our mouths. You know, when you guys go to work tomorrow, there will be people there who will have little Christmas trees on their desk. It was so sweet. Natalie brought one by my desk this week, so I have a Christmas tree. It's really cool. Um, and so there will be people who have all these decorations about, and you can say, hey, have you, do you know what happened that first Christmas? Have you heard about this this thing these shepherds were up to? Have you heard about this manger in Bethlehem? Can Can I just share with you for five minutes about this story of Christmas? If you believe the story, my encouragement is tell the story. Tell the story of what God did for all of us during that first Christmas. Because if we will tell the story of how God keeps his promises, even though it took 700 years for the Micah promise, if you tell someone, God remembers from 700 years and he keeps his promises every single one. That's something our people in this city, our people in this world, they need to hear that we have that kind of God. And did the shepherds do it just once? They check off list. Okay, we told the story. We told someone we met. No, they kept doing it. I imagine whoever was taking the next shipment to the temple showed up at the temple. And as they're doing the exchange, because they probably got paid for these sheep, their hand-off sheep, hey, can we tell you what, what happened to us just a few weeks ago? I imagine for month after month, they were telling the priests in Jerusalem, the people on the highways, everywhere they went, crazy story. We got the greatest birth announcement in history. Can we tell you about it? And they kept telling about it. And it was, I think it just really blessed God's heart that he picked the right people to tell about the good news of Christmas. So the first is believe. The second is tell, and tell it often. The third thing to get the joy and peace of Christmas is to trust God's plan. God's plans often don't happen overnight. I mean, you imagine Mary, Mary, uh, has this angelic visit, and then nine months later, she's in Bethlehem. And, and she doesn't know every day. It's like, okay, this has just taken a while. Am I still in the middle of God's plan? Is he still doing something behind the scenes? You know, when the shepherds left that little home in Bethlehem, you know, the Romans were still in charge. Caesar was still running the place. There was a lot of junk still happening in their world, and they could have questioned, you know, is God really still at work? Is he, is he maneuvering things behind the scenes, for our good and His glory, there's a lot of reason to doubt God. but God is encouraging you to do what the shepherds did and continue to trust him, continue to rejoice in God and praise him. You know we will reference some of the fun we've had in 2020 just a few minutes ago. And we've had a lot of fun in 2020, a lot of fun in 2020. Um, and, and I do just wonder though, as we've gone through some unprecedented trials this year, which of those, and I don't know, but which of those God is using behind the scenes that are uncomfortable for me or discomforting to me, but he's using them to accomplish his purposes. He's using them to bring people to Jesus. And and if he's still doing that today, then I can still trust him because I do believe He still works today. His promise is that he continues to work behind the scenes. And I'm confident that he's as much work today as he was 2,000 years ago. I mean, every week, Aaron sends out praise reports of answered prayer after answered prayer after answered prayer from our G-Hop. I went around my life group recently, and we just had story after story after story of God's faithfulness in 2020. God is still at work. God is still faithful. And he is still sovereign and still moving to accomplish every promise. And there's some promises yet unfulfilled. There's a lot of promises that God still has not fulfilled yet in Scripture, and I guarantee that he will fulfill each and every one of them. And that is why we can have joy and peace at Christmas, because our Savior of the Lord came and was born in in a manger in Bethlehem, and he invites all to us to come and believe, to tell the story, and to trust. If you'd all stand with me. Before I close this in prayer, if you're brand new this morning, I would just love to meet you. I'm gonna be over here in the welcome area and just as I finish this up, and I would love just to give you a couple gifts this morning, give you a coupon for lunch. I'd love to have lunch with you across the way. So meet me over here. If you came in today and you need prayer for something, we've got elders who would love to pray for you. They're gonna come down in front. They're gonna meet you up front here. They'd love to pray for you. And finally, we have Grace Cafe today. That means across the way, Linda and her team are doing some amazing smells. As I was walking through there, I was thinking they're doing some magic in this Grace Cafe kitchen. So I encourage you, get some smiles. Come go tell some stories about God. Come join us for Grace Cafe after this. Let's all bow our heads. Oh, God, we are so grateful that you have revealed to us the story of the first Christmas through Luke. We're thankful that you inspired Luke to write it down. We're thankful that we get to read it in our own language. Not everyone gets the Bible in their own language. We're grateful for that today. And we're just asking as we do these things, wherever it's hard, when it's hard to believe, when it's hard to tell someone, we ha- ha- you prompt us to tell when it's like, oh, but what if I say the wrong things? We're asking you to give us the courage. We're asking you to give us the faith. Give us the words to speak to our world the message of Christmas. And finally, for when we encounter those tough things, we ask for your help in trusting you. We know that sometimes our, our faith can, can get a little frail, and so we're asking you to strengthen our faith today. We would trust that our Father in heaven, the one who created us, still loves us, still cares for us, still sees us and still has a plan for each and every one of us in this room. We love you so much, and we ask for your blessing on our day. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So you're dismissed. I encourage you to pull up your mask on your way out and kind of social distance out the hallway, all the way out to Grace Cafe. And if you're new, I'll meet you at Welcome Here. You're dismissed.